Thanks, Eva. It's, it's empty, but thank you. <laughs> thank you. That's not a hint, though. That's not a hint to get water. Oh, bless you. Thank you, Danny. Thank you. Do you know what? Danny is a good friend, and it's such a pleasure that he could introduce me. And do you know what? He teaches classes, and we both teach classes. But he will stop a class if he feels that people are just being a bit dull. He'll go, right, that's it, stop. And I really want to be able to do that. So um, not that I would say stop to anyone here right now, but he is, he's great. He teaches lots of classes. Who goes to David Lloyd? I'm not trying to advertise David Lloyd. They do. People might have seen him there. Okay, so hi, everyone. Um, thank you, Heather. Thank you so much. Hi, and welcome. It's the summer series. And in August, people who come up and stand and speak, they can talk about whatever is on their hearts. And my talk today comes from a situation that I have been going through. See, for many, many years, I have been learning to drive. I have been learning, and it has been a journey. And people that know me they will know that I have been so frustrated about learning to drive. Now, I'm from London, and the public transport is amazing. Who's from London? Anyone from London? Yeah? Anyone from South London? I'm from South London. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know the other places, so I'm just mentioning South London. South London. Anyway, I live in Hertfordshire, and the bus system is not as great as the London bus system. And now I've moved. I live in rural Hertfordshire, where for me to walk to my nearest shop, it will take me about 35 to 40 minutes to walk there. So I need to drive. It's important. And so I have, over the years, been just talking to my friends, and they always say to me, Denise, you just need to get your license. You just need to get your license. It's like, that is the answer to everything. You will be so much happier if you've got your license. Everything will be fine. Your marriage will be better if you just get your license. <laughs> the license, the license. It was always the license. And then last year, my husband said, you know what, forget about manual. You need to just be automatic. We just need to get you going. <laughs> and so I got a car. I got an automatic car. And I, I remember looking out my window and thinking, if my car could talk, it would say, we're just waiting on you, girls. We're literally waiting on you. You've got me. You're learning to drive. You just need to get that license. And so in five weeks ago, I took my test and I passed. <laughs> Thank you. I passed. And... I can now go to Rise because I could never go Rise because I had to drop the kids off. And then by the time the bus came, I only saw, like, I could only get here for the last five minutes. I can do things. And I always thought that when the examiner would tell me that I passed, that I would scream this deep, guttural scream just of, of you know, years of anguish. But I just was like, oh, okay. And I always thought that as soon as they said I can go on the road, that I would be off that people would ask, where's Denise to Al? And he would be like, I don't know. She's driven to Timbuktu. I don't know. She's gone. I haven't seen her for weeks. But it took a week after I passed my test. It took me a week to get into my car because I was so scared. I was so scared. And I, everything 
was more attractive than being in that car. Housework was more attractive. Even my son's Nintendo Switch was more attractive, and I cannot stand that thing. But I was like looking at what he was doing because I was avoiding getting in that car on my own. And I had to force myself, literally force myself. And then I just thought, Denise, What's going on here? And I just thought, there's a preach in this because I felt paralyzed. I, f- I was responding to fear. And I know that when there's fear around, I, I don't like it. And I, I don't like things and I avoid it. And I know because it's fear. And I thought, there's a preach here. So I thought of Jesus healing the paralyzed man. And I thought, I'm going to look in John chapter 5. And I'm reading John chapter 5. And as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, No, this is the wrong paralyzed man. This is not the one that I actually was looking for. But the Bible being the Bible and Holy Spirit working, actually, me reading that chapter was what I needed to do my preach on. And so my preach is based in John chapter 5, verse 1 to 9, and that's healing of the poor. And the title of my talk today is called Stuck. So I'm going to be all American on you. Say Stuck. Say to the person next to you, stuck. (laughs) Say to the other person next to you, stuck. Okay. I don't normally do that, but I just thought I'd do that. Okay. So stuck. That is the title. And I'm going to read John 5, verse 1 to 3. I think it's up on the screen, but if you've got a Bible, turn to John 5, John chapter 5, verse 1 to 3. Okay. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. So I'm going to stay there for a while. So there is this pool called Behesta, which means house of grace. And it was surrounded by loads of columns like a porch. And so people who were disabled would lay there and they were hoping that they could go into the pool. Now, many Bible versions will leave out verse 4. They will honor it by putting the number and will have it in brackets, but they leave it out. And on that verse, it talks about how it suggested that there is an, an angel would come over by the pool, disturb the water, and the first person to go into the pool would be healed. And it seems like it was a superstition. It was a thought. That's what people believed. So many people felt that was their only hope to be healed. Now, this pool might have just had some natural properties, like maybe it had clay in or salt. And just like how we use nature for medicinal purposes, it might have helped people. But we're not sure if it really healed them. And maybe the people who were closest to the pool, they actually didn't really need healing. And the pool was like a placebo. Just like my daughter, when she's got an itty bitty scratch on her skin and she has to have a plaster and it makes her feel better. Maybe the pool was a bit like that. It was a placebo that actually when people got in it, they actually thought, I'm better. We don't know. But this was people's only hope. This is what they thought was their only hope. And here was a guy who was paralyzed. We see that in verse 5. He was paralyzed. He was stuck. He couldn't move, but yet he wanted to be first to get into the pool so that he could be healed. It seemed like a dead-end situation. 
And some of us are stuck. We are stuck in our own situation. We may feel like we need to move forward, but we can't. We are stuck. You might feel like you are in a not so great relationship. You and your partner don't get on that well. Every time you communicate, it's an argument and you feel stuck in your relationship. You might feel stuck financially. You may have invested in something where you thought it was going to work out or, and it hasn't. Or maybe you are saving up for a deposit, but each month you're finding it hard to even to stay afloat. You're in a deficit and you're just thinking, how am I going to move forward? You are stuck. You might have been caught in a situation and you had limited options. And so you made a really bad choice, which has hurted you and other people. And now you're living out the consequences and you feel stuck. You might be stuck in a, a job you don't like, but you know what? You're too old now. You feel like you're too long in the tooth where you cannot take time out and work out what you want to do. Maybe you've got so many commitments that for you to take time out and not work and study, you can't afford to do that. And so you are stuck. You are stuck in a job that you don't like and you do not see your way out. You could be caught in a cycle. You're stuck in chaos bad relationships. You make friends and then you lose them. You may like your job, you start a new job and then hate it after six months and you just go through that again and again and again and you are stuck. This is what this guy, this paralytic guy was. He was stuck waiting to be healed in a pool that he probably couldn't even get into. And we also learn that in verse 5, that he was disabled for 38 years. 38 years is such a long time. It becomes a way of life. I remember during the pandemic, during lockdown, I actually thought that we were actually going to be locked down forever. It just seemed so long. I remember watching programs that were clearly made before the pandemic and people shaking hands and hugging and being in crowded places. And I thought, will we ever get back to that? Because I, we were stuck, we were, you know, we were in lockdown for so long. At the time, I was in a flat. And I remember people around me would say, you know, I feel so sorry for those people who were in flats in the lockdown. And I'd be like, yeah, that's me, that's me. And it was so hot. I'm so grateful we had a park next door. But some people were stuck in flats and they had nothing around them. You know, people might have even been sharing rooms, maybe four or five people in one room and they were stuck. And I just remember it going on so long that I just didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. In fact, there was no end of the tunnel. I had to stay in the tunnel. I never forget that time in Boris. I don't want to be political, but that time in January when it looked like the kids were going to go back to school. We were a bit apprehensive, but it looked like they're going to go back. And he stood up. don't want to be political. After he had his party, his Christmas party, but he stood up. <laughs> in front of the nation and said, the kids are not going to school this week or next week. It's going to be March. And I could have passed out. I really could have at that time. I had to call on Jesus. And, but the thing is, when you are stuck in a situation, you get comfortable and you have to find ways to cope because that's what all you see. That's all you see. And so um, you start to develop bad habits. You start to develop 
bad habits to cope. Did anyone, apart from me, develop bad habits during the pandemic? Yeah? Is there anyone still trying to outdo the bad habits that you have created? You need to get prayer at the end, okay? <laughs> but it became, even with the parents, with the mums, it was the, the mums whose kids somehow could go to school and the mums who had, were stuck with their children at home. And I remember even being a part of that gang where we didn't like the mums whose kids could go to school. And I thought, this is not Christian. This is not Christian. We'd find out that there was an outbreak at school and we'd be like, huh, well, there you go. It should have been at home. And I thought, that is wrong. That is wrong. You shouldn't be happy that anyone's got COVID. That was wrong. But we were like that. And I just think because we were stuck, we felt stuck and we started to develop bad habits. And that's what happens. So anyway, Jesus comes along. So this guy's been paralyzed for 38 years. And Jesus comes along and he asks him a question. And I love what Jesus says to him. He doesn't go to him and say, hey, do you want me to heal you? He says to him, do you want to be made well? And I think that is really important because when you are stuck, you get comfortable with it. And we have to ask ourselves, do we want to see change? So two weeks ago, I was on the phone to my aunt. I was crying. I mean, I passed my test and I was crying to her that I'm struggling with driving. She didn't even, I don't, you know, like sometimes somebody could ask you a question and you, you just burst into tears. I was at that point. I think someone could have just touched me and I would have just, you know, burst into tears. But anyway, I was on the phone for about an hour with her and the post came and Al, my husband, he took the post, he put it on the table and I didn't know that my license was in that pile. And later on, I opened up the letter and I saw my license. And I looked at it. And I've got it here right now, actually. I've got my license. And I'm looking at this license and I'm thinking, look at this. I've had that mint driving, that mint green driving provisional license for so long, so long that I had to change my picture. It was that long, yeah? <laughs> And I'm looking at this license and I'm thinking, look at that. I've got it. I've got the thing I've wanted for so long, so long. And it's not even like they gave it to me as a lucky dip. Not even that. You know, I mean, I got four minors. So it wasn't like they thought, well, you know what, we're taking a chance. They gave me this because I earned it. I've got my license and I kept looking at it and looking at it and I kept thinking, then why am I so sad? Why am I so sad? I've got the passport to freedom and I'm so sad. And it's because I realized I was so fearful on what was on the other side. You see, this signified adventure, freedom, my life changing. And yet I was craving what I knew was to be safe. I was stuck. I hated waiting sometimes one, two hours for buses. Buses not coming and I had to wait another hour. Having to walk everywhere that every time I got to places, I was so sweaty, I needed a shower. I, I just need, you know, I, I, even though I hated it, I was so frustrated with that. It was what I knew. It was where I was safe. I almost felt like being in fear was what I knew that was right for me because it kept me safe. And I had to tell myself, Denise, 
choose the other way and do it with God because he can help you. And some of you here right now need to make that decision. You are feeling stuck, but it feels safe to be stuck. And Jesus asks the paralyzed man, do you want to be made well? And what does he say? He says, I just need someone to get me into that pool. He's got the Messiah standing in front of him who can change his life. And all he can think about is the solution he knows. And we are like that too. We've got the Holy Spirit with us. We've got God right here. And we're in situations and all we need to do is call on him and trust him. But yet we're so hell-bent focusing on our solution. We all do it at times. So we don't even know if this guy believed, but Jesus spoke to him. He said, get up, get and pick up your mat and walk. And the man instantly got up. Now, I believe that the reason why he got up is because God, because Jesus spoke to him. He stopped the situation. He stopped the problem. Jesus stopped the problem. He healed him. He was no longer stuck. He was free. He spoke life into a dead situation. And he can do that for you. He can do that. If you are stuck in a problem, you're stuck in a situation, Jesus can put a stop to it and he can speak life into that situation. And the reason why, the reason why he can do that is because he holds all authority. We don't even know if this guy believed, but because he spoke, he had to get up. Just before, the chapter before, there was this man who says to Jesus, my son is not well. Could you just come to him and just heal him? And Jesus just says, he's made well. And then they find out that the boy was well at the time when Jesus said he was well. Even in chapter five, later on, he's speaking to the Pharisees. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he tells them, I hold authority. Everything that the father does, I do too. He's equal to the father. He does everything that the father does because he is God. And you can trust Jesus. You can trust him to stop whatever's going on, to stop and make a way for you. So you might be thinking, well, how do I do that? And can I have the band up, please, as well? How can I do that? How can I practically trust Jesus to get me unstuck? Well, the first thing is, if you haven't already, is to accept Christ as your saviour. Accept him as your saviour. He is available. He's ready. He, he, he wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And all you have to do is just ask him to come into your life and he will. And you ask him to just wash away your sins. Anything that comes between you and him, ask him to take it away. And he will because he died on the cross for you. He will do that. And if you need help with that, you can speak to someone after this service. The, the, um, or you don't even have to speak to anyone on the ministry team. You can speak to somebody else if you need support, if you want to, to do that with somebody. And the next thing is to let him know everything about your situation. If you are stuck, talk to him about it, everything. 
There is no condemnation in Christ. He knows everything anyway. He just wants you to be self-aware. He wants you to be aware of what's going on. But talk to him about everything. Talk to him about the fact that you may be afraid. Talk to him that you may struggle to trust him. Tell him everything. Tell him the whole situation. Tell him even your solutions, just in case you think he doesn't quite know what to do. But tell him, keep the communication going. And the next thing, and you can play. Can play, please play. <laughs> no pressure, sorry, sorry. Okay, <laughs> just gotta look there. Like we're coming, we're doing it. Okay, so the next thing is to stay in communication with Jesus. Talk to Him every day, as many times as you can a day, as you want to. If you're feeling anxious, talk to Him about it. Talk to Him about everything. And also listen to him as well. And he will speak when you talk. And he will also, the Holy Spirit will just speak to you even through the Word. Don't be afraid to read the Bible. Lots of people are not reading the Bible anymore. And don't worry about people who are reading the Bible in a year and you're really overwhelmed about that. Do what you can do. If only you can read one verse, do that. I always talk about the Bible app. Even just get that on your phone where at a certain time every morning, there is a verse that comes up. And do you know what? There is life in one verse. I know that I will look at one verse in the, in the morning and do you know what? It annihilates a whole bunch of things that I've been thinking about just by one verse. So just even read one and build up and do it in your time. Don't worry if the person next to you is reading like five chapters a day. Read what you can. Make it real for you. And the next thing is to let go of your way and trust His way. Let go of your solution. Your solution might be good. It's just that your timing is not the right time. But just trust in Him. Keep the communication going and He will direct your paths. Okay, so what we're going to do, I thought that would be really great if we all just prayed. So if you'd like to stand up, I just want to invite you to stand up. And the great thing about God is that we all can pray in our heads. And you know what? He can understand us and He can be there and He's with us. As close as we want Him to be, He's there. For everyone here. And some of you may feel quite stuck. You might be stuck in a situation. And I just would like to just encourage you to just talk to God about it. Or maybe you're not feeling stuck, but you know that someone else is. And maybe just pray for them. Or maybe you could even ask God right now, is there anything you want to reveal to me right now for myself? But there is no condemnation. Those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation.